welcome to the Mix in the Six podcast. I'm your host, Gina Marie, and thank you for tuning in to hear stories from the Mix community in Toronto and beyond. This podcast is recorded on the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat peoples covered by Treaty 13. This space is all about sharing our stories, building community, and learning from one another and having fun. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Mix on the Six podcast. I am here with my special guest, Teresa Cutknife, who is a artist originally from Alberta, now living in Toronto, also my friend and Mix in the Six fam. I want to welcome Teresa to the podcast. What's up, girl? Hey, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Introduce yourself and tell us all about all the amazing things that you do. Yeah, for sure. So, um... Hello, my name is Teresa Cutknife. I am from Muscochese, Alberta, and a member of the Samson Cree Nation located on Treaty 6 territory. And I'm coming at you today from Toronto, also known as Nagorondo, which is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, the Wendat, and the Mississaugas of the Credit. And we're on Treaty 13 territory right now. And I am most definitely an uninvited guest here today but thank you so much for having me yeah I guess just to continue to introduce myself I'm a mixed queer indigenous Cree Puerto Rican actor writer producer storyteller curator and director and yeah that's me (laughs) (laughs) beautiful definitely happy I passed that over to you for that amazing introduction I definitely don't think I could Pulled that off. That's amazing. I'm so happy to have you on the show because I've known you now for, I feel like it's been a few years since the first time. 2016. 2017. 2016 or 2017. So Teresa, you and I met, it was through Mix in the Six, but from like the online group, you posted about a play, like a live performance that you were in. And it was, um, the theme was around missing and murdered Indigenous women. I, I saw that you posted and I was like, I must go to the show. And I went. And so it wasn't actually through a Mix in the Six event. It was like, I went and I saw your show and it was so amazing. Like it's still like, again, it was at least three, maybe even four years ago. And it's still something that like really hits me and touches me till this day. And I'm just curious. I can't remember the name of the show, but could you tell me a little bit more about what that show and how you got into it and uh, a little bit of the history? Yeah, so that show was called The Hours That Remain um, by Keith Barker. And I can't even remember. I think it was like some mutual friend of someone sent me and a couple of my other classmates a casting call for this play. And we were like, oh, like, should we do it? Because at that time, we were in first year theater school mm-hmm. here in Toronto at the Center for Indigenous Theater. And like, typically, that's not something that you do as a first year. It's like you're not just because of your schedule and things like that. Like, you're not really you don't really have the time to like be doing any major extracurricular activities so um when me and my other classmates and friends got this casting call we we just went to it because we're like whatever it's practice it's fine we're not gonna get it we're students they're not they're not gonna cast us and then it was me and my friend Kylie that ended up being cast in this play and we were totally straight up and like upfront about like we are students we are in first year we're not like if this is something that's 
going to happen. You kind of need to work around our schedule. And the directors of the show were like, that's totally cool. We'll make it work. We'll figure it out. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So that's what happened. We, so Kylie and I, we were in this show in our first year outside of like, outside of our school. And it was such an amazing experience because for me personally, that was my first time kind of actually having a leading role. I was on stage like that whole time throughout that, like, I want to say it was like an hour and some minute show. I think there was two scenes where I wasn't on stage and then the rest of it, I was there. <laughs> so to be a part of that show and especially like with the subject matter of, of it being about missing and murdered Indigenous women and how we have tears, it was a very transformational kind of show to be a part of. One, because I was working with a friend, fellow classmate. This was like such a new experience for us and the directors. Actually, everyone on that production was a person of color. So that was something that I really, really appreciated and was so lucky to be a part of. And yeah, when I did that first, um, I guess, post about it, when I was just learning about Mixed in the Six and had signed up to go to that February meetup, thinking like, oh, no, yeah, I'm going to go like meet new people and live that Toronto life. Because <laughs> I had only been in Toronto by, wow. for like about six months at that time, just because of school. So I was so blown away when, when you came to the show and I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> like, that's so cool. <laughs> like <laughs> People responded. <laughs> Yeah, really. <laughs> and like, that was such a great introduction to you, but then also to Mixed in the Six to have already met you and have that, I guess, like kind of familiarity to go to that event. It was such a huge event. There was like over a hundred people there, I think. Like, I was so grateful for that, to, for, to have you there in the audience and then to have hosted that event. It was just so cool because that opened me up to so many people who have such a similar experience to me, even though like majority of the people there, though it didn't have like the same mix as me, we all had that kind of same foundational like link between all of us so it was just really cool to be in such a space and such an environment where it was like just so many people coming together and having that opportunity to just like share space and talk about this thing of like this is the thing that binds us <laughs> so yeah I just really appreciated I guess that first meeting between us because without that I don't know I don't know <laughs> yeah, no, that's amazing. And I want to come back to the show that you were in mm -hmm. and also more of your training around Indigenous theater because that's a huge thing I want to talk about. But I also want to get a little bit more around, I know you and I have met and talked about this before, but for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit more about your mix and where you grew up because you've been in Toronto for a few years now, but you're originally mm -hmm. from Alberta. So that's when you came to our Mix in the Six event. That was kind of like a Hello, welcome to Toronto. <laughs> yeah. Thing. But tell us a little bit more about you and where did you grow up and what your mix is. So I, yes, I'm originally from Alberta. I grew up in Muscogee for the first bit of my life, which is my reserve. And then around grade six, moved into the town that I went to school in, Pinoca, which is a very rural central Alberta town where it's a farm town, but also like the biggest, the two main things about my hometown was that we had our stampede so I think it's the second biggest outdoor rodeo show experience thing in Alberta <laughs> and next then, to the Calgary stampede yeah <laughs> oh, that's kind of that's pretty huge because the Calgary stampede is is like massive okay mm -hmm. <laughs> and then also um Noga has like this kind of 
infamous mental hospital. Mm. So whenever, like, there would be times where I'd talk to people and be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm, I like, live in Pinoca. I'm from there. I go to school there. It'd always be like, oh, you're out on the day pass? And it's like, oh, you're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> but um, growing up, my, so my mix is I'm Cree, Plains Cree, First Nations, and Puerto Rican. My mom is Indigenous, and my father is Puerto Rican. He was born in Brooklyn, New York, and he did some traveling around. I lived in Florida for a time, and I also, I think, lived on the island in Puerto Rico for a while. And he was in the U.S. Army. He was in the Marines, and he was stationed over, like, a couple different places. But how him and my mom met was he was stationed in Hawaii. I forget what island. But, yeah, he was in Hawaii, and my mom, my grandparents and aunties and uncle used to go, like, I guess just, like, vacation there. <laughs> like that used to be a thing. So I guess that my mom and my dad, they had just happened to me when she was on vacation. They hung out for a little bit and she came back to Canada and was telling her friend about like, oh yeah, like I met this guy. And her friend was like, you have to go back. You have to talk to him more. You have to hang out with him. And she like bought her a plane ticket to go back to Hawaii to hang out with my dad. And then as far as I know anyway, like... <laughs> The rest is history, I guess. <laughs> Where they here like, <laughs> yeah, here I am. And um, I also have a younger sister, yeah, who came from all of that. But I, though I am mixed, um, I only ever grew up in Alberta. The only family I ever was around was my indigenous family, like my my cousins and aunts and uncles and things like that. And it was always just a like a simple fact. My dad is Puerto Rican, so therefore I am Puerto Rican. Apparently, my dad was because he came to Canada and lived with lived with us and my my mom's family and things like that. He was super integrated into the community. He worked as a teacher's assistant for a couple different schools on the reserve. So like a lot of people knew him around and he was even, <laughs> I guess, like teaching kids how to like speak Cree a little bit just because of like he's been, he was in the community for so long and, and picked up stuff. So whenever we did go to ceremony, which, which wasn't like too often, but whenever we went to feasts and things like that, it's a traditionally, if you go to a feast, it's the man's duty to to serve the food so because so many people knew him and he was accepted into in our in our family in our community that was something that he did too so he was very much a part of that environment so it never really came up i mm -hmm. guess about our other family in puerto rico until I want to say when I was like 13, I just remember being called over to like talk on the phone with somebody. And I'm like, what is this? Like, I don't know who this is. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm talking to one of my aunties on my dad's side. And it was just awkward because like, though she was speaking English, it was very like, yeah, it was only like a certain level. <laughs> and like, I spoke no Spanish because like yeah. my dad didn't teach us anything. <laughs> so we had a thing of like, hello, how are you? <laughs> what is the weather like for you? <laughs> How's school? <laughs> like that kind of conversation. And uh, I think at that, around that time too I saw a couple pictures of his sisters and like my few other cousins but that's a side of my family that I still actually don't really know. I've never been to Puerto Rico I've never met, like officially met anyone on that side of the family other than that one phone conversation. So growing up, it was, I don't know. I don't want to say like it wasn't a bad experience kind of knowing that I was mixed, but not being like fully aware or like fully understand what that meant. Because like, as far as I knew, like I was native, <laughs> I was yeah. clumped into like the native kid group in school because that's just how the environment of my school was, where it was... 
white kids, there was the native kids, and then you literally could like count on your 10 fingers, like the other demographics of kids that we had, like, yeah, like I'm Asian and black and everything else. So for me, it was a thing of like, just because of the way I look I and how I grew up, I wasn't really immersed in ceremonial kind of things or traditional knowledge or anything like that. So other than like the occasional feast or round dance, maybe a powwow, I'm not even sure. My mom never really, we just never really went to a lot of things, or at least I didn't. <laughs> um, so growing up, it was a, just a thing of like, I know I'm native. I know that apparently I am, I am mixed. I am Puerto Rican and things like that. But like, I don't know what that actually truly means. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it was a thing of like, I think people just assumed that I was, if they didn't already know that I was native, they, I think they just assumed I was a white kid because I'm, though I'm like, those two things I'm a bit more I guess like racially ambiguous mm-hmm. and I'm for sure <laughs> yeah I get you <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a lot fairer I'm, I'm more lighter skinned mm. as opposed to like other family members that I have and like other kids that I went to school with so that was kind of all just my experience growing up I know it mm-hmm. my immediate like friends and family know it but outside of that it was just like mm, I can't really pin you down, but it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so Yeah, I hear that. I know a lot of us mixed folks, we kind of grow up being like kind of tethered between two worlds, but perhaps feeling more or less like connected to one side, depending on like who we grew up with or what family was around and where. And then also looking just like racially ambiguous <laughs> to other people where like you're not quite sure, people aren't quite sure where to sort of what your ethnicity is just by looking at you. Mm-hmm. That being said, I know you were, you had mentioned, you know, you've studied indigenous theater and growing up, you know, grew up with your mom's family, like on the reservation and like kind of a little bit more involved with the indigenous like community. Did that inspire you to go into studying indigenous theater or was like there something else that drew you into making that your career or like your educational choice? Um, yes and no, just because my educational journey was just, like kind of wild. So once I graduated high school, I thought like, I'm going to be a drama teacher just because it was my drama teacher who really inspired me and made me like really come out of my shell and like feel seen through drama and through theater. So I had those thoughts. So I went to the University of Lethbridge in Alberta thinking like, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. And then when I got there, it was like, mm, that's nice and all, but I don't really want to do that. So then I transferred to the University of Alberta with working on a Bachelor of Arts, working, majoring in drama with a minor in Native Studies because I didn't have a minor for a long time and I was just like, well, might as well do this because <laughs> I kind of know some stuff <laughs> about this. <laughs> you know, and like nothing else really interested me in terms of like academia and that kind of learning. So when I was doing that, I was also trying to audition for the University of Alberta's Bachelor of Fine Arts program, um, acting. So that's like a conservatory style training, uh, like actors training that they have after like a couple, a couple auditions and like attempts of like trying to get into that program. I was like, "Mm, it's not going to happen. So we'll just continue um, on with the BA. It's fine. We're doing like we're learning similar things and it's more theoretical and not as hands-on. So by that time I was about four or five years, five years I think into my degree because 
something about like transferring from different universities doesn't correlate sometimes. So when I transferred, they were like, that's nice. But that happens. Yeah. Yeah, Like you got to start over basically. And I was like, what? So (laughs) after being in school for like five years, I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. (laughs) It was in a really like low space for me and like very depressed and not really feeling like I was actually doing what I wanted to do. And I happened to find the Center for Indigenous Theater, which is a school out here that I went to for, for my training. And I was like, let's just try it. So I sent in an audition tape and I was accepted. And it was a very whirlwind kind of thing where I was like, sure, I'll send in a tape. And then it's like, oh, I got accepted. Oh, okay. So that means I have to how to do it now. So <laughs> um, I had, yeah, like it was trying to figure out like how to move to Toronto because I had only ever lived in Alberta. I only ever lived like a few hours away from home. So that transition was really huge, but I knew that like it needed to happen because if I ended up staying, trying to finish this degree and just trying to like continue slogging through, I, I don't know where I would be right now if I didn't make that change and make that move. So you made the move to Toronto and you know, although the, you know, you had those two degrees that you were kind of working on, what, no, wasn't sure where it was going. And then you get accepted to the Center for Indigenous Theatre here in Toronto. And it's like, boom, you got to move to Toronto, leave home and start this whole new journey here. And curious to know, like kind of what happened sort of since coming to Toronto and all the things that you've involved in. Yeah. So coming to Toronto, I didn't know anyone. I came here basically by myself my mom came with me to like help me move and think and stuff like that but when she was gone like that was it I knew absolutely (laughs) nobody (laughs) until like come to find out later there's so many Alberta people out here (laughs) and like who came at the like roughly around the same time as I did so I was like where were y'all when I first came out here but anyways (laughs) for me it was such a like transformational time for me just because of like it was most definitely like a new chapter of going into like being more of an adult and pursuing a career that I truly truly wanted and I'm so thankful and grateful that I have family who support me in that and like my mom flying all the way out here (laughs) to try and um, help that transition be as smooth as possible so going to the Center for Indigenous Theatre it was it was a time (laughs) (laughs) theatre school in general like across the board like any program it's a wild time anywhere just because of like the rigorous kind of training that you're doing it our school was a little bit like we had a slightly different schedule but there are some theatre schools where it's like you're there a solid 12, 13 hour days, like six days a week kind of thing. I'm thankful that at CIT, I we had support. Um, we had access to traditional medicines. We had access to elders and counselors and things like that. Because all of us, even though we're, we all come from different nations and different backgrounds, we're at different parts in our journey, um, Just with, even just within theater, we all have had that base of like, okay, we're all, we're all indigenous. We're all kind of coming from that base knowledge with each other. And it was a really cool cool thing to it's just it's like with mixing the six like you don't need to explain everything people kind of just know they know what you're talking about and if they don't know then it's just like a really great it's a great learning experience as opposed to being in that kind of situation where like you're on a you're on the defense or something or like you have to prove something where it's just no we're all here to learn and to learn about theater and specifically indigenous theater because for me being in school and like being in university that was kind of way more 
closer in-depth look about my own people and about our histories. Of course, like in high school and, and middle school and things like that, they're in Alberta anyway. Like the curriculum is that like you do learn about residential schools and things like that. But it was always that kind of situation where I was the one <laughs> Indigenous person or like one of two Indigenous yeah. people in a classroom. And then it's like when you have to talk about residential schools, everybody's just looking at you, <laughs> expecting you to like know everything. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I was in university and learning, just learning everything else like about our histories beyond mm. uh, residential schools and just like colonization and like pick a date, like uh, the continual genocide of my people. It was just like, okay, there was a lot more here that I really didn't know. So for me, I felt like I had, I don't think I really knew it at the time, but I come to kind of realize more that there was something in me that really wanted to explore that more and go deeper into that and give myself the tools to be able to tell those stories and to create new ones, create different futures, because it's not just, it's not about me as an individual. It's about the community that we have now, the next seven generations that are supposed to come after us and the seven generations that were before us and trying to, and keeping that kind of awareness and knowledge within myself is kind of, is the art, is like what informs my art, mm -hmm. I guess, and my, my own process of what I want to create and put out into the world. So since graduating and since uh, learning, having different opportunities of learning from different uh, professionals in the field, Indigenous actors, writers, directors, I feel the responsibility and I know hold that responsibility of continuing the work that has already been done mm -hmm. and to, I guess, like make that path wider, longer and smoother so that other youth, not just from my community, any community within, within Canada knows that like it's that a career in the arts is possible and it's accessible. It's something that you can do. It's not like you have to fall into any sort of formula or any sort of uh, expectation that's put upon you by the government, by society, by your family, by anybody. That if, if this is something that you want to do, of course, artists, storytellers, knowledge keepers, those are integral parts of our communities since the beginning. There's, I guess, within theater, it's kind of thought of as that like indigenous theater is kind of only started in roughly when like late 70s early 80s kind of thing but really in reality like we've we've been telling stories since creation so this kind of work is is within us and within our bodies and our memories mm -hmm. so i think that's just a part of i want to try and continue to do of reminding i guess reminding people that this isn't new <laughs> and that it's something that needs to be continued and cultivated and made available to everyone so that it can continue because even though there are people who everyone has their own path in life where there are people who are who are the academics who are the ones that are kind of navigating that world na navigating those institutions and that form of I guess that form of like colonial institutional mm -hmm. kind yeah. of ways of being there are other people who are out on the land who are doing like frontline act work on activism and people who are trying to keep those those ways of knowing and traditions alive and we know one way is better than the other and we're all part of that same kind of cycle of just continuing to be who we are and who we have been so yeah I guess that's like that's what my main inspiration is for my work and for my art beautiful <laughs> <laughs> like a mic drop it's so interesting there's so many amazing things you just said and there's something that I wanted to kind of pull out is that you said people think that indigenous theater is like something new from the 70s but like I think that what do you that you say like it's something like new-ish but really like storytelling it's like it's in your blood it's like what is like a 
a part of bringing forward your history and, and just a part of the culture. And I'm also kind of curious to know, because you've chosen Center for uh, Indigenous Theater for your training. What do you think like theater and then Indigenous storytelling like put together? Like, like how do you feel like that kind of helps propel or tell the story or kind of brings out the specific issues that you particularly want to share? So within those, I guess, like kind of those first years of, of Indigenous theater, a lot of those plays and a lot of those stories um, that were being told and like plays that were being produced and things like that, it was a lot of plays about residential schools. It was a, a lot of plays about like drugs and alcohol. It was a lot of plays about um, just a lot of like the hurt and pain of, of Indigenous people because that was kind of not the first, but like one of the first times where Indigenous voices were being heard and it was being seen and it was being actually like taken in. Mm-hmm. So after like how many years and years and years of like us literally not being allowed to talk, to speak, to practice any traditional ways of, of storytelling and knowing to have that first instance, it's like, oh, oh, OK, cool. People are listening. Great. So, of course, like there was an outpouring of that type of work. Um, but since then, I for me anyway, I see more of my friends and colleagues creating work that is more healing in a way and talking about futures and talking about Indigenous love and our laughter and our joy as opposed to just always kind of re-traumatizing ourselves because I guess that's like within health and healing that's kind of the process that you go through of like you kind of have that outpouring of hurt and pain of acknowledging like this is I've gone through this thing this has hurt me this is how I feel about it and for a while now I feel like we're we've been in in a cycle of that's there that's happened we know that it we don't we're not going to forget that that's always with us and a part of us but there's more to us than just our hurt and pain and suffering we're not here to I don't know be trauma porn for everybody so yeah (laughs) um so for me I'm currently working on a show right now I'm writing a show um with one of my best friends back in Alberta she her and I did undergrad together um in drama and she's currently in her last year of law school so we're working on a show that talks about specifically treaty six because that's where we come from and we're talking about treaty relations and law and indigenous interpretations of the treaty but also we're talking about health and indigenous health because within all the numbered treaties across Canada treaty number six is the only treaty that has this clause in it that specifically talks about health and it's called the medicine chest clause and it's not even that big of a thing within the treaty it's like a two-line thing uh, saying a medicine chest will be kept the Indian agent's house and will be given forth at their discretion kind of thing and it's implied in the other treaties that oh yeah like that's part of that too but it's the only one that's actually where it's written so we're putting a focus on that and trying to talk about the different things of indigenous health but just like health in general in the research for this piece even just we're still in our like beginning stages of it but within our research so far just even learning about healthcare in Canada in general that's a wild wild time <laughs> yeah. like if you're bored on a weekend look up Canadian healthcare like start to now wow <laughs> like some things you'll just be like what yeah so with that show it kind of came out of a place where because she, my friend Samantha she's in law school she was I think she was in a class that was talking about that was specifically talking about treaties or talking about um indigenous law and it was the thing of that like she was getting so fired up because she was learning all these new things that she didn't like she maybe knew about but like didn't fully understand so she sent me this text message of like what if we wrote a play about like I don't know like First Nations people like going to war 
against Canada because they broke the treaty and da da da. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, like some of that. <laughs> I mean, like, I appreciate that you're here with me now, but. We got this up thing, but let's. Yeah. It's like, what do you think we've been doing? But it's yeah. okay. <laughs> so starting from that kind of like passionate place of like, okay, yeah, cool. Let's talk about it. Like what, what would that look like? Would it not the all out war thing? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're still trying to figure out how we can get that back in the script, but it's not as like as aggressive as that anymore <laughs> because we're, we're really trying to talk about the different relationships within like what that means to be a treaty person or to not be a treaty person. We're looking at different things, even within the Métis because Métis is so unique and so specific where they're not a part of treaty. They have their own thing with Métis script, but they, like, the Métis have also have been, like, royally screwed over in so many different ways. <laughs> it's a really big project where we're trying to encompass, like, so many different perspectives and talk about so many different things, but I feel like it's, in my heart of hearts, I feel like it's a piece that will bring forth, like, critical dialogue about what it means to be in relationship with each other, what it means to interpret the so-called agreement document that was in essence, it was really just supposed to be a piece of paper that was to eradicate us, but we're still here and we have those rights because of the treaty kind of thing. But not just us, it's other people too. It was, I think people forget that like, it's not a us versus you kind of thing. It's all of us together, um, working together or hoping to work together because, <laughs> well, just because of there's so many different current events that are happening just within Canada, that's forgotten because the oppressed and the oppressors, well, the oppressors have have this fear of the people that they are oppressing will turn around and do the same thing to them. But in reality, all it is is that people are just looking to seek acknowledgement, recognition that they're seen as people and not just things that can be thrown away. So that's just one thing that I'm working on right now. (laughs) That's like a damn good, huge thing (laughs) that you're working on. Yeah. So much goodness, like just all the research. So like I want to acknowledge so much work I, I'm sure you and um, your friend have already put into doing the research and like kind of creating the foundation of the project I just want to say that like people in Canada don't know and understand like what the treaties are and all people are only really starting to like wake up to what has happened in like our history when it comes to the Canadian government the Catholic Church the, the indigenous people again just like people like yourself and I know you're not working alone you have a, a whole community of storytellers and artists and creators, entrepreneurs and activists that are like pushing forward. Like this is like what we need. Like we need it desperately. Like we need to be educated and to see the stories and to see you and to know what really happened. So it's just also really amazing because I'm remembering when I first, like I'm kind of going back to the beginning of our conversation, like when I first met you at <laughs> the play where that was also my first like interactive opportunity to be educated about the history of missing and murdered Indigenous women. And I had no idea that you were like a new first year student. (laughs) I thought you were like totally pro and you are pro, you know, and then I came to your graduation show, which was like absolutely hilarious. So when you're talking about like telling new stories and healing and talking about joy and love, my friend Carol, who is also a fellow Mixie, we were both at your show and we like, we just loved it. I think like we laughed and cried in the span of like 15 minutes. (laughs) 
<laughs> like throughout the show. And now you're creating another show that's massive and huge. And it's just super, super important work. So just wanting to acknowledge you, Teresa, for all of that. Thank you. <laughs> it's, this is something that I've been like thinking about for a little while now where like for me anyway, like so many things that I've talked about or thought about for myself and I guess like what I hope for in my life and in my career are I see them are like starting to happen. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, it's overwhelming and it's scary, but it's like, okay, cool, great. Then I'm supposed to be here then. <laughs> yeah. But it's also, uh, I guess to like kind of talk about, I guess like my experience within all that, like though being a mixed person, there's, I still have like so much learning within myself to do as someone, I guess within this body and the, like the way I look and how I present, like with all the many intersections of my identity, I'm still very aware of the fact that I have so much to learn in many ways and that I do hold a lot of privilege that other people don't have simply just because I'm a lighter skinned person I'm more white passing though I have my own I guess kind of experiences of fear and adversity I guess like different forms of, of oppression that it's not greater than or more important than people who are literally just like a few shades darker than I am the treatment of even just my own family members who my younger cousins who have more I guess quote unquote like visibly indigenous features or it's just more seen mm -hmm. the the kind of interactions that they have on a daily basis are so different from mine that's something that I also hold as a responsibility of being aware of the space that I do take up within this industry and within this world because though I am so grateful and so blessed for all the opportunities that I've been given up until this point I do still think about okay well who else isn't here though because I don't know like what your experience has been like with, with stuff like this but like to know or to like feel that you're like this like check mark for people like different contexts it's like how do I combat this being in that position of like okay well I guess I'm here for this reason but what can I do to disrupt that I guess I like check mark as in like okay like to tokenism type mm -hmm. okay yeah it's interesting because I'm not in like acting or theater or anything just a podcast host over here but I know when I was <laughs> no. talking to Genevieve Kang who we interviewed on season one who's an actor in the industry talking about like taking on different roles or like accepting or declining different roles as a mixed race person having to navigate like is this my story to tell you know am I being tokenized like we kind of talked a little bit about that I'm wondering like yeah as a, a mixed race person in the theater and acting industry like what have you encountered for me it's been a thing of the majority of the things that I'm put out for it is native work mm -hmm. or native roles but there are times when I do like I do get a breakdown or something and I look at it and I'm like mm -mm, <laughs> this is I know what you're trying to do but that's not me because <laughs> like it's uh, like they're looking for traditional kind of 1800s type of look and I'm like cool and all but I don't fit that <laughs> that is not me so I ran into those are the things that I kind of ran into more I had an experience where I still think about it and like I realized ah I let myself down there I shouldn't have done that but like I was asked about accents that I can do and I'm like I can't do accents to save my life like gun <laughs> to my head if someone was like any accent to pick one I'd, I'd die like I would be done <laughs> like I yeah. cannot do anything to like in regards to accents but I was asked to about like about a res accent and I'm like uh, mm, 
trying to navigate that in a way that's like, okay, I'm not trying to like start anything with you because like I'm in a position where like I'm trying to either like get a role or, or something. But like I'm also kind of so I was trying to navigate of like, well, there's no one catch all res accent. It all depends on where you're from, who your people are, like different circumstances, you know, that kind of thing. I'm like, so, you know, like there's no real one res accent, you know, or like indigenous accent for like them trying to be PC. But um, they're like, oh, well, like what would your sound like? And I really, really didn't know how to navigate that because I was like, I don't have one. I'm speaking to you now and this is how I speak. (laughs) I didn't grow up that way. I can hear it in my mind just because of like where I grew up and like people that I interacted with and things like that. But like, that's just not part of me. Yeah. So I had a thing of like, I had to make a decision of like, do I do this or do I just try to continue to like hold off? But also in that like graduating theater student trying to book a thing, I'm like, okay, like I ended up doing an accent that wasn't great. (laughs) It wasn't like, because in general, I can't do accents, but like for something that is not really part of me, it was just like, ah, you shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Yeah. But like, it was a learning experience though, because from that point on, I was like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. I don't care what someone, like whether it be a casting director or agent or like whatever else, if they're trying to ask for a certain thing that I'm really not that, this role isn't for me. This part isn't for me. This is not meant for me. What is meant for me? The role that I'm supposed to get will come to me later. So that's like kind of just been my experience within theater, I guess, because though I am a professional now, I'm still very much emerging Mm -hmm. and still trying to just like get my feelers out there and try to take as many opportunities as I can with different casting calls and and whatnot. But it does feel like a little awkward sometimes because I do have an agent when they're like seeking indigenous person. It's like, okay, I mean, cool, great, good to know. But like, do you need it? (laughs) (laughs) Like, or is it just, if it's um, like an indigenous show or or something? Yeah, I totally get that. Totally understand. But um, for like just other random things, I'm like, for what? For why? Mm Because you don't usually get, usually for casting calls and things like that, you don't really get like full script or anything. You just get like whatever sides you get. So I'm kind of like, what is the context here? (laughs) Like, what is the reason for this? (laughs) You know, not just like checking off the box, but wanting to understand like, what's the story behind the role and like, why? Yeah. What's the intention? Because that's also really important. And I'm hearing like a lot of really like important things where like actors and artists and like creators in the industry, it's important to like set the precedent of, at least from what I'm learning is like take roles and decline roles so that like the right person is in the role. It's not just like white people (laughs) telling Mm -hmm. like acting like characters who are meant to be from another culture and group just because they think they can, right? Like, I think that's an important piece around the art form is to really be like taking a step back or taking a step up when you know the role is for you, which is, yeah. Mm -hmm. And even just within this industry, because it's so competitive, like the way the industry is built and things like that, it puts a lot of pressure, not just on performers, but a lot of people where everyone's trying to operate on this, this idea of scarcity, where it's like, if I don't do this, if I don't do this role, if I don't take this thing, if I don't do this opportunity, I'm never going to get it again kind of thing. So then that's that, I guess in some contexts, like that's kind of, those are the steps, I guess, what lead to like those kind of awkward situations where it's like, "Mm, we didn't need (laughs) like Scarlett Johansson in that role. That was fine. We didn't need that. (laughs) Yeah, we were talking about that. (laughs) Not that like Scarlett Johansson is operating from scarcity, but (laughs) like that's just, (laughs) yeah, it's just a bigger example. (laughs) And so kind of coming to the end of our time and I'm curious to know sort of like what are your hopes for like this, your 
your industry and indigenous theater? What do you see in the future for you in the field? Well, I hope that a lot of the theaters can get through this pandemic, can get through this really difficult time just because a lot of theaters had to completely cancel seasons and had to really like pivot and move on a dime to try and figure out how to get programming out to people, how to still have an industry to come back to because this whole thing, like artists really have been hit the hardest. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like we're going to be one of the last, very, very last industries to kind of like get back up. So just hoping and praying that everybody or like a lot of a lot of theaters don't die out and and don't have to end because of the times that we're in. But also I'm very hopeful and inspired by so many colleagues of mine and even younger artists who are emerging and up and coming, creating that change and creating the environment that they really want to be a part of and just being that spark of change and making it known that the way that we've been operating for so long, it isn't it. (laughs) There, a lot of harm has happened within theater and film and and things like that. And that's not something that can continue or should continue. So there's been so many incredible artistic leaders, like creating different programming and different workshops and creating different opportunities for BIPOC artists, for um, LGBTQ plus artists to really be at the forefront and to try and create these different methodologies that we can operate in. So I just hope that that work continues and that we don't, I guess, fall back into that systems of operating where it's just another form of colonial institutional kind of way of working where a lot of the labor and exploitation is on artists, is on newer, younger artists, and that that kind of system doesn't continue. So I guess that's, those are my hopes for the future within theater. (laughs) My hopes too. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. Everybody support theater when it's back up. Is there any, I'm curious, is there any way that we could, like we can support theater in the meantime or like learn about what you have coming up so that we are there with bells on (laughs) when (laughs) the time comes? Yes. So right now I am a part of the festival producing team for Wasabi Chuck Festival at Native Earth Performing Arts. That's going to be an online festival. I'm fairly certain all theaters are like accepting donations for whatever they can and just be, I guess, just support any, just support your local artists. If they're selling something, if they got an Etsy shop, it's like literally anything, buy something and buy it full price. (laughs) (laughs) Don't ask for a discount. (laughs) Though I know like with some theaters, like a lot of things have moved online and a lot of people are feeling that like Zoom fatigue, like for sure I am (laughs) just because of like all of my work has been remote now, but just any way possible of sending money or just like and taking any kind of the art that you want to see, like continue to see it, continue to support it. Also on top of that, continue to support all the different movements happening right now across Canada. Tiny House Warriors in Interior BC fighting the Keystone Pipeline. Donate to Land Back Lane in Caledonia, Six Nations. I think they, I want to say recently they put out a, a list of donations that they need. Continue to keep a watch for Nova Scotia, the Mont Fisheries and out there. And there's another thing I'm, I'm forgetting. I'm going to be so mad when this is done. I'm going to remember what it is. All actions happening across Canada. Yeah. Support. If you can donate, donate. If you can be a body there, go. If you can donate things like tangible things, food, tents, whatever items that particular action means, do whatever you can because though 
shows the work of in, of activists across Canada is not just, again, like what, what we talked about before, it's not a thing of you versus versus us. This is for everybody. It's fighting against pipelines is for the benefit of all people to make sure that our waterways are clean. For people fighting for recognition of rights, those rights are not just, it's not just for us. It, it, those things, those agreements and treaties were put in place as an agreement between two groups. It wasn't a thing of one over the other, one gets gets more, gets less kind of thing. It's a relationship that is ongoing. And even though the government of Canada doesn't want to uphold that, I guess their end of, of that, we're all still in relationship with each other. It's not as separate and as siloed as people think or want to think it is. So that's that. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> I was just going to say that uh, we can put links in the show notes. So if whatever ones, Teresa, you want to make sure people see, and I know I want people to see them as well, we'll share them. And thank you for that. It is all of us together because that's the only way we can make change is in community and communion with one another and communion with nature. And so I, again, like, thank you so much for sharing so much of your story and like with me today, but also in all of your incredible work and all of the work that you're going to do. I know it's been amazing getting to know you over the years and also seeing your growth and just knowing that there's like just so much more exciting creation that you have coming up. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Gina. And yeah, I really attribute to a lot of my growth, like being in Toronto, like because of Mix in the Six, because of that like first first event that I went to, first meeting you. I, I don't know if I if, if that didn't happen, I most definitely would not have like, it would have taken me so much longer to have become more comfortable here and in the city and for me to have taken the journey to kind of discover myself more within my own mixedness. So thank you so much for this opportunity and for creating this community for us to come to and for us to feel seen and heard. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> we did it together. Yes. We created it together. That always makes me really emotional with thinking about, yeah, just such powerful people like yourself, like, you know, recognizing the community because I think we're all like, again, we're all in this together and the little parts that we can do to help one another move forward are super huge. And speaking of moving forward from where we've been, I always like to ask this question at the end. Teresa, what would you say to your younger self knowing what you know now? Oh my goodness. I don't even know if we have enough time for that. (laughs) (laughs) Take all the time you want. So many things I want to say. I guess I would say that it's cliche, but it's true of like things don't get easier. Things will continue to be hard, but you'll be able to navigate them smoother. That where you are right now as this young person who really doesn't know a lot (laughs) and knows that you don't know a lot, that don't shy away from doing things because you don't know. You stop being afraid to ask questions and to ask for help. Stop being afraid of that failure because it's that failure that helps you learn and grow and without those experiences you would not be where you are today you would not have met the people you have met without getting over just getting over yourself get over yourself (laughs) (laughs) it's really not that big of a deal no one knows what they're doing so you're not alone in that (laughs) i guess that's what i would say for now (laughs) yeah beautiful (laughs) i definitely don't know what i'm doing (laughs) i'm learning every day i still don't thank you so much for being here again Teresa how can people follow you or be in touch with you or get in touch with stuff that you're doing yeah I'm so
so like social media illiterate all i have is an instagram i don't have twitter i don't have That's anything all you else really. yeah <laughs> i'm not articulate enough for twitter like only 150 characters now yeah. <laughs> um but you can follow me on instagram if you like at Teresa Cutknife. and i was gonna say facebook but don't follow me on facebook i'm not i, I post nothing there I'll, i just like things um but <laughs> yeah it's for you not them yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so instagram is basically yeah. it um and i guess just just watch out for a couple different like different events that i'm producing yeah. i won't be in them but my name will be somewhere <laughs> uh, well definitely let us know when they're out and how we can and we'll you know share them and, and let everybody know about them because it's super important work that you're doing we're just happy to know you awesome thank you <laughs> hey Teresa. hopefully thank you'll you. come back again yes i'd love to <laughs> bye, bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Mix in the Six podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. And if you do, do not forget to subscribe, comment, and share the love to keep bringing more stories, insights, and cool perspectives from the mixed community. And if you or someone you know is a fellow mixie and want to share your unique story and are up to awesome stuff, we want to hear from you for a potential feature. Look below in the show notes for more info. Much love to you and see you soon. Yeah, hey.